how many serves do you think a player should receive before you switch? So let's say you and I are playing against some team. We have, we're going to serve their left side because we think we can score some points on him. And we have a goal. We have a game plan and situation. How many times are we going to serve that person and let him score before we switch to the other person? I would say the technical. You know, I would say that that's a good break in the game. The 10-11 switch or the 9-12 switch where you say, we haven't touched him, but do we know what he's trying to do? If you know at that point what he's trying to do and what he's capable of, then you can choose to stop him or not. But if here's the thing about playing defense. If you say, this is how we're going to stop him, this is what he's trying to do. But on your side, you don't have the physical and athletic attributes to make that stop. If you're saying he's always hitting high line, so I'm really going to wait and delay, and you got a 5'10 blocker up there, you're not going to touch the high line. So you need to figure out a different strategy that's going to beat him. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. My name is Mark Burrett. This is, as always, my brave beautiful, courageous co-host, Brandon Joyner. Today, we are going to talk about getting the runs. In other words, how do you generate multiple points in a row? How do you connect points so that you can develop that lead? And how do you stop the bleeding once it starts? You know, How do you prevent yourself from falling into a pit of multiple points? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But Brandon, what's going on the last two days? I want to hear something. I'm back in California, you know, happy to be here. I think last time on the show, we talked about how I had recently moved into a new place. Everything's going great in that category. Finally starting to feel a little bit like a home. Nice. Yeah. Back to training. And uh, yeah, just realized that we're about a month out from one of the first tournament stops. So, it's wild, right? Yeah. So uh, time to kick it into high gear. I think a lot of us, especially people that were ju- just outside of getting to make those the AVPs in the past couple of years, obviously last year had some qualifiers and such like that. But with such a small tour, it was kind of hard for people that are trying to break into the main draw to yeah. uh, kind of find value in traveling, in my opinion, because especially last year, there were a lot of tournaments that coincided on the same dates. So just trying to sit down and organize and i know you and i kind of did it a little bit uh when i was still in new york well by we i mean i watched you right on a try to <laughs> try to find all the connections and stuff like that but it got me really excited for the season yeah i'm looking forward to what's coming up i know we have a couple weekends still in the next couple weeks where we're going to be making some moves so we go to ohio this weekend mm-hmm. back to grand sands which we love which will be looking at numbers it's going to be a stacked clinic and then and we've got our week-long camp in April, which I'm really excited about. And those are always just a blast for me because, yeah. you know, anytime we get to spend more than one day with a group of people, I absolutely love it. And going to Florida where it's going to be nice and toasty and, and then heading to a, the first qualifier of the year, it should be a fun little trip. So. should be a fun little trip. Yeah, so I'm excited. I like what the next month has in store. You know, it's funny, the AVP season, when when I'm looking at it, I was talking to Janelle, my wife, about what the schedule might be. And some parts of it look like a really, really long season. But then Mm -hmm. you got to perform. If it's going to be a long season, a busy season for you, you got to show up and you got to win. Because if you only go to those qualifiers because it's so tougher, it's tougher now to get in because, well, maybe not tougher, but they don't have the on-site qualifiers. So you can be traveling every weekend, whereas you used to just travel, what was it, seven, eight tournaments a year. That's only eight weeks. And then the rest of the tournaments, if you wanted to go and, and pick them up, but they weren't necessarily qualifiers. They weren't mandatory for you to get into the main draw. Now, right. the other weekends are mandatory for you to get into the main draw. And they've added, the AVP's added a little bit of that prize money. You know, it's more total prize money than last year, but that doesn't mean that for beach volleyball players, there's more money available to them because all of those tournaments that they've added at the lower level were already established, you know, high, big money tournaments put on by local organizers. So, whereas the AVP like took and said, hey, we've increased the prize money. That doesn't mean that there's more money available than there ever was to any beach volleyball player. Like you can still go to Pennsylvania with East Coast Volleyball and win whatever, you know, 1500 bucks every weekend you know, right playing grass and then give try your hand at some avps so to say that there's more prize money just because you took more under your umbrella that that doesn't that's what you're providing but it's not 
not what is ex- was accessible to volleyball players. So we're still right. not at the level. We're still not at the level for professional beach volleyball where we want to be. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I will say I've gone back and forth on how I feel about the schedule. And I've kind of landed on the fact that I'm pretty happy with it. I think that the AVP is heading in the direction of more tournaments. And I think that the setup that they have, the tournaments that are available are going to be pretty successful. The quality of play is going to be pretty high. And moving forward, I know we hope for it every year, but hopefully there's just more money put into these events and they can just continue to grow as size. You know, I I honestly don't know if they have the room to increase as far as tournaments go unless they plan on going to December or something like that but so hopefully these tournaments do well and people are willing to travel and play and then it will open the eyes of a lot of people across the country to a lot of different players you know obviously they're still going to have those main draw events that people know every single player that's playing but you know hopefully it kind of opens the door and some of these like pro events or the tour stops it allows the country to see some of these grinders who have just been kind of stuck in qualifiers for the last five ten years and kind of are exciting to watch you know i obviously I love watching main draw tournaments, but the qualifier tournaments are getting to be pretty damn exciting. And so I'm excited to see that kind of heart go into these tournaments because Mm -hmm. I think I think it is going to create a pretty cool atmosphere. I have a pretty interesting little key and note for if anyone's watching that plans on traveling to a lot of ABP tournaments, a little secret that I did when I was I would say I was right on the verge where I wasn't 100% sure if I should be traveling to all these ABP tournaments just because of skill level and lack of funds. But something that I did probably and this was the four years I was living in Virginia Beach is every single time that I won money with a tournament, I put it aside. Okay, I didn't even let it touch my checking account. Right when it got put into my account, I had set up another section within my bank account, and that's where I put all of my tournament winnings. Then that way, when you play in these local tournaments, especially the small ones, where like in Virginia Beach, we would have some tournaments where they'd be eight eight teams, and the likelihood of me doing well in those tournaments was very high. So I won a lot of them, and even if the purse was two hundred dollars to me. Like $200 might seem like a low payout to for the broad spectrum of beach volleyball. But when you win five of these, now you're sitting at $1,000 if you don't touch it. So sure. I think that that's a pretty good way to start, especially if you're an up and coming beach volleyball player, you're trying to get some money so you can fly to some of these tournaments, pay for hotels. And then that way you don't have to completely rely on your job and finding sponsorships because finding sponsorships, especially if you're not at the top level is... In my opinion, it's almost a waste of time unless you have like a family friend who is willing to give you a decent amount of money with the company. But I think that's a good way to think about it. So I just wanted to kind of share that before we get going into the talk today. Yeah. You know, the sponsorships and and the money, if you're going to put that into one account, you better put your expenses into that account too. Right. Start at the beginning of the year with 2,500. And if you go into the negative for your volleyball expenses, Mm -hmm. say that that's your internship year. (laughs) Right. You know, but if you do that twice three times in a row and you're just continually spending more money more money more money if it's fun for you cool if that's what you love and that's what you're passionate about cool but to see if if you're generating some if we're talking about like business and dollars per hour then that's a whole nother conversation but part of the, the sponsorship talk and what is now the advantage of the avp putting all those people under their umbrella putting all the tournaments under their umbrella now at least companies can have one person to talk to and that's what i think avp america with rich hylas and wayne gant and donald sun that partnership i think that that was big it was big because now companies who are interested they're not like so you have eight events and then more than half of your athletes are going to you know Pottstown rumble or we'll pack a boat ride and who owns that oh you guys don't have access to that i do like that even though there is you know what might have sounded negative by me saying the avp has put all these under their umbrella and it's not more accessible to us what is now more accessible is the fact that they can have that conversation with other sponsors and and maybe bally doesn't care about sponsors maybe bally's is you know focused on their 
generation. But of course, there are partnerships. And if you guys are on the AVP email list right now, they're sending out like car rental deals and affiliate codes nonstop. So they are saying like, hey, we are interested in sponsorships, partnerships, affiliates, and everything being under one umbrella is only going to make the AVP stronger. So while we don't have the maximum prize money for our country yet and the tour for the players, at least now everything's under one umbrella. And I can see by their email marketing that they're starting to, to find other ways to generate revenue. Hopefully at some point, this revenue starts finding beach volleyball players. I think that's kind of, I'm assuming you probably think the same thing, but it probably has to start there. You know, it yeah. has to start with the full sponsor, the, the owner of the company making, not losing millions of dollars like mm-hmm. we've done in the past, but at least seeing the value in it. Yeah. I mean, the sports that are already under that network and are being shown and they're already showing AVP matches on their TV channel, the growth will be there. And then hopefully we can start seeing some money too, or the sport can maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and at some point the players have to bond back together. There has to be, we have to get some type of union, some formation again, where you can't have somebody who has played in a main draw accept a $50 sponsorship. Because if some company says, oh, well, I'm paying $50 for this person, why would I pay $10,000 for that same sponsorship? Then everybody else gets hurt. So when the players cheapen themselves for being the top 40 athletes in our sport, when you cheapen yourself, you cheapen the entire brand of us. And I think the players need to get back and start having some conversations as a unit again. We're so used to competing against each other that we have to get back to having the discussion of how do we get this to help us in our lives? You know, not just to play volleyball, not just to prove that we're the best, but to to make it on its own a benefit other than our own enjoyment currently opposed to an investment in the future. Yeah, there have been advisory committees and stuff created in the past, but being completely honest in the last five years, I felt like the people that have been a part of that committee talk to us less than they did before they were part of that committee, which I think that that has to be kind of flopped. When I was a teacher, I was a part of the principal advisory committee, you know, and whenever I had those meetings with the principal and and a small group of teachers, we would bring our ideas and thoughts and stuff like that. But then when it was done, it was my job to go back and tell all the teachers that I was in control of what we established, where it was heading and what, how the conversation went. And I don't think I've heard about a single meeting in the last five years. No, I've never heard of a meeting. How to post, what what people are interested in. And there, hey, there might be a spot for us where we're starting to learn how to talk to people and what the volleyball person needs and wants to consume. And that's, and then teaching young people how to market themselves, you know, like we don't get training. So we, we have to be financially frugal. And then you see the NFL people blow $5 million in a year. And it's like, okay, some AVP players figure out how to be financially responsible. Whereas NFL got the next 5 million coming. So I think mm-hmm. we're forced into being smarter and better with what little we get and time management and everything. But more so, you know, we're talking about with the company, we have to be, the leaders have to be responsible for educating and helping and assisting their constituents to, to help themselves and to move forward. So there has to be better conversations for how to market yourself, what the value of the total brand is and how your contribution can help that or hurt that. And if you go and start having side conversations again for a $50 protein shake company, you know, where you have to make 37 posts and and we'll pay for your tournament entry, that's garbage. You need to find a way to value yourself at a higher rate when you're one of the top 40 athletes in the country in your sport. Well, sounds maybe like that should have been our, yeah, maybe that should have been our topic. Yeah. <laughs> We're continuing the, the talk. All right. But we can get to the topic now. Let's talk about the runs, shall we? Hate the runs. I love the runs. We had a coach in college who we had a drill called diarrhea and you know, you had to string together runs of points in order to win the drill. And if the other team ended up getting four or five in a row, you needed to get six and seven in a row. And this is what wins or loses matches. It's how can you string together points? There are side out battles that go even 19 to 21, where both team might've gotten, you know, given up two points on a digs and then those are returned. But the ability to not give up consistent 
runs and make errors that compound each other, compound on each other. That's important for winning. And figuring out the next step, once you got one point, what's the next thing that's going to happen? How is that team going to respond to how we just beat them and so that we can match those points up? I'll give a, a few things that, that I've seen work from the mental game, and uh, we'll just kind of talk our way through it here. I like it. Number one, I think you have to understand the mentality of the person you're playing against. So I played in a big tournament uh, with Shane a while ago, and this was after a few years in California. And I told Shane to run certain plays, and I said, he's now going to do this, so you do this. He's now thinking this, so you do this. And he said he was shocked that I literally, like word for word, mapped out five points in a row. That was wild. But once you understand the mentality of someone and how they're going to respond, then you can design plays around that. So let's just say that somebody hits really hard, and they get stuffed. They get stuffed hard. You have to know if that person is a fighter who says a confident fighter who's like, that's not going to happen again. You know, if they're confident in their ability or if there's somebody who likes to hit, but they hate getting blocked because the next thing that they're going to do, usually the typical person, as soon as they get blocked hard, they'll become timid, right? They'll watch out for that blocker more. And that's when they will turn into a shoot. So for me, when you're playing at the A, double A, and low open level, after somebody gets stuff blocked, I think a great thing to do is a late peel. Not an early peel, but a late peel. I think if they have the ability to look, then after you stuff block them, sit your defender right in the middle of the court. Do not try to cover any open area because that person is now in that look phase where they're saying, well, I'm not going to get blocked hard again, so now I'm going to look for my shot. And when you sit in the middle against shooters, you don't give them a clear answer. They have to be confident enough to go with a shot. And if you give them equal distance on both sides, uh, they're going to get hesitant, they're going to get slow, and then you can pick up that, that cutty or that high line. So one of the best sequences that you can do is after one or two hard stuff blocks, plan on a really late peel for your blocker so you can pick up a shot, or defender sit in the middle of the court don't guess don't move to an open area don't even try to dig a hard driven ball just sit as low as you possibly can so that you're a lay down from the high line and a lay down from the cut and that'll be a good spot for you mentally to put together those two points likewise the reverse happens right somebody shoots and they get dug then they shoot and they get dug again that third time they're not trying to shoot they're like shooting's not working especially just after just after two, they think shooting's not working, and then they go for a hard hit. So for me, after I dig you twice on a shot, I hope I don't play against anybody listening, but <laughs> I'm going to run a four on you. Mm -hmm. I know that you're frustrated because you think you're being soft, and so then you're like, man, i got to be harder. That's how I'm going to get dug. And when you try to go hard and you're frustrated, you usually want to hit high hard cross or low hard cross because you want to bounce it and show people that like you're not just a shooter so that's, yeah, you that, that's when get i like that confidence back blocker yeah and i'm not going to run a four where i'm trying to dig a high line right i'm i might sit in the diagonal as a defender and just have my blocker run the four so that they get that stuff yeah because high a four is normally designed to dig a high line or a hard cross but i don't want to give away that i'm running in case they do like still shoot I don't want to give that away. So I'll sit in that pocket and we'll double up a little late double up. And that's a way to string together a couple of points just based on how that player is thinking and what the last thing to happen is. But I think people just flip between random signs and there's nothing connecting the points. What do you think? I think the thought process alone, we have to start there. Whenever you win a point, you should have an idea in your mind of how you won that. You know, I, I don't think people really think about having that internal conversation or out just an out loud conversation with your partner. But those conversations have to start happening. One of my biggest pet peeves is when we serve somebody where and we even have a conversation, you know, hey, they've been shooting high line a lot. I'm going to get really stable. I'm going to get up really high. Let's make sure that if he hits this high line this time, I, I need you to pick it up. Okay. And then we'll score on that person. And then the next serve will go to the other partner. 
like that alone tells me that you're not even thinking about creating a game plan. And I think you, what you just said is what everybody has to start thinking of. You know, it's pretty simple. I, I think it goes both ways, whether somebody, if if they are hitting, especially if we're talking about B level, A level, even double A, even open level tournaments in these local areas, if somebody doesn't score, whether it's a hard hit or a shot, a lot of the time their next hit is going to be the opposite. I think you giving credit to people doing it twice in a row is a little too high. You know, people don't like failing, especially at the lowest level. I think in, in once you get to the pro level tournaments, people are like, I have to find this shot. And if I'm going to win this game, I have to be willing to lose maybe a point or two right now for me to find this shot so that I can open up the rest of my arsenal. I think once we drop below that pro level and we get to the higher seeds in open lo local open level tournaments or any division lower than that, they see like if they try to if they try to score hard cross, if it doesn't work, they put an X next to it. Right. Immediately. If they score with a hard cross, they put a check next to it. And then they're going to go back to that, you know? And that's when people start finding a rhythm is when they've put a check next to two attacking styles. Oh, I have a check next to my hard cross and I have a check next to my high line. Now that team is going to be hard to beat because now they've gotten comfortable with two shots. But the way that you can get rid of those check marks for somebody is by doing exactly what you just said. If somebody hits a hard cross, okay, cool. We scored the point. All right, the next time that they go up, I'm going to sit in the hard cross again, but now I'm going to run to the line. Okay? And I think depending on the level, it's okay. We've had this conversation before, but it's okay to be seen by the attacker. And I even said this before, in some divisions, it's better to be seen by the attacker, especially if an attacker is struggling because they're going to see you. They're going to try to shoot away from you. And now that's when you can get you can string together a solid four points and you can be in control of the game without even getting a serve. Okay. And I think that's a really special moment to feel. And it's completely demoralizing for the team that's in serve receive. Because especially if you have them go through, oh, here's my hard hit, didn't work. Here's my high line, didn't work. Here's my overcross, didn't work. But it takes a lot of gameplay and strategy. And that conversation alone is, it's hard to have if you don't think about it. But if you start thinking about this conversation and you start daring the other team to score a certain way, then that's how you'll learn what people's tendencies are. And if you've never done it, you have to try. You've got yes. to figure out a way to at least l maybe lose a couple points just because you're trying to get them to do something. But yeah, I, I think that that idea of game strategy is completely out the window. They say, oh, this serve has to go in the court. Hopefully we win another point. But you can start to kind of guess what's going to happen. Yeah, and you can force it to happen. You can predict it. You can make things happen. People play this reactive defense sometimes which means i'm not going to say reactive defense but i'm going to call it reactive strategy so you serve and then you try to see what's going to happen instead of making something happen you know a short serve a lot of times can generate a weaker approach so somebody's going to spike lower right a high deep serve we were playing against the latvians the other week anytime we ran short on them they didn't do all their wacky options sprint around plays and if they did they were jumping so low that we were getting good touches when we served them deep they had all this space to kind of run these huge like passing routes and zigzag and go out and run a flow set and i was like i'm not trying to deal with that i don't want to do all these side shuffles and whatever like i'll deal with them in a small box so that's when i'm gonna serve them short a lot and if you if you this is your first time at our podcast you're gonna hear this again and again and again but if you don't have a short serve yet develop the hell out of it it traps people it's tough to pass and get a full approach and get full height out of a short serve. And I was doing a, I see Shane might still be watching or he might be working, but we were doing exactly this against somebody. And if you follow me on Instagram, you got, you got a one in three chance. But if you haven't on defense, if you don't have the play call to sit your defender in the middle 
and not move into the line, not move into the cross. Just sit there and know that you're digging shots. You're not responsible for hard driven anymore. You need to have that play call and, and you need to practice it and you need to know what it's like to just sit and say, the only thing I'm getting is shots. If he hits me in the face because my hands are down and I'm sitting so low, fine. That's not what this play is designed to stop, right? It's just like football, where in football, some plays are designed to get you into the end zone on a long pass. Some of them are designed to get you two yards forward, right? And that's where we have to be defensively, where it's some plays are not designed to stop everything. Most plays are not designed to stop everything. You have to figure out what you're trying to stop. So if you don't have the sit in the middle don't do anything and don't dig any hard driven balls, then you need to add that because against people who love to use their vision and shoot kind of slow, you'll be able to really, really scoop them up a lot. And are you going to lose the point when they swing hard cross or hard line? Yeah, but we're not trying to win every point in volleyball. That's unreasonable. You're trying to get one out of every four or five and then trust your offense. So get that play in, in your arsenal, everybody. Sitting that defender down the middle and then just letting everybody do whatever they want to do, uh, knowing that you're only responsible for shots. I think I would, when we're talking about game strategy and stuff like that, I think that that conversation can happen too, where you actually talk to your partner about what shot you are giving up. You know, like I think that that is a really good place to start because let's say an attacker is doing a really good job of hitting angle, right? But you don't want to block, you don't want to block angle because they've just been tearing you up and your defender's not getting close to it. I think sometimes, like a conversation that I would have is I would dare this attacker to hit over the block line. And so I, I would have this conversation where I'd say, hey, let's we're run, gonna run this. We're going to run a one. I'm, I'm going to be aggressive on making sure that I try to take the seam and I'm going to try to make them go over top of me. You have to touch everything that is hit cross. I don't care if it's a hard driven. I don't care if it's a cut shot. If they hit high line, I do not even want to see you over there. If I see you over there, then that tells me that you're not taking away your spot initially. And I think that those kind of conversations can lead people down the right road because it at least establishes your game plan, which we've been talking about. And if you can have that idea of what you're trying to take away and also know with that, whenever you try to take something away, you're going to be giving something up. And you're just hoping that the team on the other side doesn't choose the shot that you're giving up mm -hmm. and or hopefully you can disguise it enough to where they're not doing that but i think that that you could even go that far with the conversation and i guarantee if you start having those conversations you're going to pick up on the cat and mouse game or the chess the chess match a lot quicker because that it's so fun <laughs> if you have not experienced the chess match or the cat and mouse game in beach volleyball and you love beach volleyball you don't even know what love is like i'm happy Happy that you love the sport, but being able to manipulate the game to help you in your favor is it's it really is something special and it, it's cool and it, it's worth trying to figure out because once you do figure it out, it's it makes the game even more fun than it already is. Yep. You know, and it give is was hopefully just was. Hopefully he's gone. Yeah, get I'm, out of here. I'm I don't need any of these old heads coming back. <laughs> Especially when they can just dominate. Yeah. yeah, he could not train all year and probably still make a semi easily. Yeah, when Furbringer and Jennings came out of retirement just for the Manhattan Open and they won, and it was just like, yeah, he could. Yeah. He might show up for the Manhattan Open. He might not. Be if out. Jake does play, the only way that I'll be happy if he plays is if he plays with Phil. That's the only way I'm going to be happy. You know, I need to see those two on the same team. That That's it. I would love that. I would love that too. <laughs> That'd be fantastic. They need to. I agree. I agree. They need to. Right. He was the master of this. He would make you feel so comfortable hitting something. He would show you it intentionally. Let you have it once. Let you have it twice. Well, you have it three times. And then when he needed or wanted it, he would set it up the exact same way and then show you something different so that you're thinking, oh my God, every time I show him angle, he jumps in there and I bang line. And so you keep setting up that shot because you're like, oh, this is how it works. And then he waits and waits and waits. And then he dives into the angle and then throws his hands back in the line and clamp, clamp 
done. 1919, 21-19, Jake Gibb, over. You know, that type of thought process of giving up a swing, letting somebody have it open. And he might not be giving up points because I still got to deal with Taylor back there or whoever was behind him. You know, But having that mentality of on my side, I'm going to let him know that he has an open net. He's still got to beat my defender. right? But then when I want to control the game, I'll come back and I'll, and I'll bust him up just like that. So I remember specifically in Huntington Beach, him doing that to me after we won. I think we beat him and yeah, me and Avery Drost beat him and Taylor in the first set. And then everything that was previously open was now closed. It was closed late. Just keep thinking about that, that the higher level people are thinking about setting you up for failure. They want you to succeed early only to lay the trap later. And that's, those are again, just like you said, those are the conversations that you guys need to have when you're playing. If you have a block call, and you miss a serve, and the next block call is different, something bad is happening. If you have a block call, and you serve one person, and then on the next play, you win that point, and on the next play, your block call changes for the person you did not serve, something wrong is happening. These are things that you have to watch out for, and you have to say, why did we change it for that person when he didn't get to play? That means that you either weren't thinking on the first one or you're just making stuff up now. And either way, there has to be a deeper level. And that's how you're going to keep stringing together points. Moving on with just like another couple of defensive strategies of moving on. Like you said, if you score on somebody and then you let them off the hook, why would you let them off the hook? Let dig their own grave or let them dig their way out of their own grave. All right, but don't just let them off the hook after you've stopped them twice in a row. How many serves do you think a player should receive before you switch? So let's say you and I are playing against some team. We have, we're going to serve their left side because we think we can score some points on him. And we have a goal. We have a game plan and situation. How many times are we going to serve that person and let him score before we switch to the other person? I would say the technical. You know, I would say that that's a good break in the game, the 10-11 switch or the 9-12 switch, where you say, we haven't touched him, but do we know what he's trying to do? If you know at that point what he's trying to do and what he's capable of, then you can choose to stop him or not. But if here's, here's the thing about playing defense. If you say, this is how we're going to stop him, this is what he's trying to do. But on your side, you don't have the physical and athletic attributes to make that stop. If you're saying he's always hitting high line, so I'm really going to wait and delay, and you got a 5'10 blocker up there, you're not going to touch the high line. So you need to figure out a different strategy that's going to beat him. If you don't have the attributes available to you to stop that play, then you have to be honest with yourself. You know, that, that would be the job of a coach to say like, guys, this isn't our defensive strength. And his offensive strength, it, tr it trumps our best defense. So let's go to the other guy to where we're a little bit more matched up for, all right, I'm a great peel digger. And this guy's like, he's got medium pace and he likes to shoot. That's a good matchup for me. But as a six, two blocker, somebody who reaches high snaps and is comfortable hitting their high lines. And when they hit it, it's flat or down. If he keeps choosing that high line, I don't know if we can keep serving him, you know, yeah. because he's going to snap it and he's going to be physical and more physical than me as the 6'2 blocker when he's a 6'9", 40-inch papa. The reason I asked you that, and I think that that is around the same number that I would give. For people that don't know, the technical is when the combined score reaches 21. So that's a lot of points. Hopefully, if it's a close match, that's you're serving that team 10, 11 times. If you're down, maybe you're serving them 12, 13, but that's a lot more. And I think like if we were doing a, What's that show where you they like poll the audience and then is it Family Feud? Survey set. Yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, yeah, good answer. Good. <laughs> if we asked a hundred audience members, a uh, hundred volleyball players, what that number would be, I would say that it's probably between five points. I think that that would be like the average score that a lot of people would give, which is extremely low when you're trying to figure out somebody's offensive tendencies. Right. So just remember, like Mark saying, that it should be a combined score of 21 before you kind of give up on on that idea that obviously there are some extreme situations where if somebody goes up and they are absolutely just detonating the ball and you're making their highlight video for them, <laughs> um, then that's 
probably not one of the times where we want to wait till 21 <laughs> points to, to get off if of you them. feel like every play you're being put <laughs> like, on an dude, instagram replay a, <laughs> this game's gonna get you a sponsorship if that's the case let's go ahead and move on to them a little bit earlier but that low number should still be probably around five but yeah it's we have to give ourselves a little bit more time than we want we have to sit in that uncomfortable position because getting that information from them on what they do in specific plays it doesn't mm-hmm. come within a first cert, a couple serves yeah it takes a little bit of time so i like that answer you know something to pay attention to also is like when when you're taking your statistical set on defense and you're trying to figure out what what somebody's doing and how to stop them there are outliers that means that you know what's their average are they at medium comfort when they're getting their set in other words like they're not setting themselves up right and so they're kind of off balance that to me becomes like a new statistical set every time he's early he's trying to do this that's different than maybe the play call that i have when they're in a great position so you also have to just try to match up what happens to somebody in certain situations and we're not saying that you're going to figure it out right away but what we are saying is that the earlier you guys start paying attention to this earlier you start paying attention to it and trying to figure it out and then connecting with people and saying like hey what do you think happens here or get into our beach volleyball master group and posting these situations you know with the people you're playing against or when you're playing like our members show us their videos and then we say look every time you get served outside you know you're not hitting where you want to be from every time they serve you middle you're not getting into your offensive design that you know you're excellent from and so those like statistical sets become unique and, and individual and i understand that a lot of tournament players who are b and a and double a they're not like fully 100 going for it and they're not going to sit at home and take stats but if you just at least pay attention to what happens when when i do this what happens then like if you follow me on instagram i think i posted this last week i go let's go into the comments and tell me when i serve here and here should be you fill it in what is the next most likely shot for most players you know that's just a way to start your brains thinking and then i guess we just got to touch kind of quickly on how to get yourself out of those ruts yeah i thought about that this is uh i'm wondering if we should just make that its own episode but i think we can always come back to it we'll touch, uh, yeah, touch on it but I'll, I'll go ahead and start us off here it takes a lot of honesty you know you have to figure out how you are currently getting beat and what does that look like and are you the reason or is the other team the reason you know i think that that's something that we have to establish if it's your passing if it's your setting if it's your attacking then you gotta figure I like to use these little mantras, you know, and especially if I'm not passing well, a lot of it has most of the time for me, it has to do with my shape. And so I give myself before I before I'm in serve receive, I give myself a little cue to keep my shape. Okay, sometimes I'll say hollow out. Okay, and that'll give me my shape. And I'll, I'll try to fight through that. If it's the other side of the net, then you have to figure out how can you start scoring without being influenced by them as much. I actually had this conversation with Peter from Vegas came was supposed to come to our clinic our camp in Florida but didn't make it and baller by the way that yeah. kid should have a big future with his control how calm he stays Peter Peck if you're if you're listening to keep going but he sent me a message on Instagram and he was just like hey I've been noticing that in tournaments I and hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing this hopefully there's no of his uh his players out there but he was like I keep falling for the threes and fours when I get in ruts he was like I feel like they can just see everything I'm doing they they're picking up my shots or walking to them and one of the things that i challenged him to do was no matter what you see stay high and quick try not to think about oh i i'm seeing this i'm seeing that whatever you think you see go with it and go with confidence and go fast and without trying to bring the ball down and just giving him that little piece of advice he he went on and i think he did pretty well in the tournament that weekend and he even messaged me back and he was like oh man that worked so well and i think a lot of times that that can be a pretty good answer for a lot of people is that trusting and believing in yourself and not questioning because a lot of times what happens when people start losing points is they're like oh man am i good enough to beat this team yes the answer is yes you just have to make a shot that you're confident in and if you can stay controlled and you can stay aggressive whether you are shooting or you're attacking then that's how you get out of those ruts but kind of walking up and being in question that's when people sit in those ruts too long or get a case of the runs on the other side of it 
at being too reactive to the way you just lost. We do this site in life a lot where something didn't work out for us once. And you know, we see it like in parenting a lot. We see it in relationships a lot where one thing doesn't work out with one person. And the next thing you chase is the complete opposite of what you just had instead of the minute details of why, of recognizing that maybe it was the situation that was wrong. Maybe it was the timing that was wrong. Maybe it was the person who had that quality, but it wasn't necessarily, you know, it was that quality combined with their other qualities. And that's the one that just stood out in your mind. And so we do that when we play volleyball, when we try to hit hard and we get stopped, we go to the opposite, which is don't hit better. Don't hit higher. Don't look for the blocker and hit hard. You just shoot, you know, so you skip all of the details that that were really the cause of that loose or that negative event. And I caution people that about that in life and in volleyball and in sports and in business, just because something didn't work out, don't just immediately go to the opposite. Parents will do that to their kids. Somebody who tried to start one small business, lost it all or, or lost a bunch of money in real estate and they never tried it again. Well, you got into the real estate the worst time in history. You got into a real estate and you made a terrible decision. It's not that real estate is bad. You mm -hmm. made a terrible decision and now your fix for that is never get involved in real estate because it'll ruin you. Meanwhile, the most millionaires by far in our country are only there because of real estate investment. So just think about that, that you're not doing the opposite of what you just did. Don't react completely in the opposite way to what just happened to you and see if you could figure out why that went wrong without saying, if I had to do this again, what would I do? If I had to hit hard cross again, would I swing earlier? Would I swing later? Would I show that I'm coming in straight line and then hit hard cross? You know, would I flex less? Because like when I like open myself up and then I show the blocker, uh, this dude's definitely hitting hard cross, then he dove in on me. Was I in the middle of the court? Was I in the outside of the court? All of these are different ways that you can figure out the problem that went wrong of why the hard cross was stopped instead of, oh, now I tried to hit hard and then the next solution is shoot. Don't fall into that. Uh, don't be too incredibly reactive to the last thing that happened. I like that a lot. Thinking, I do think that a lot of people jump to conclusions very quickly that everything they did was wrong in the play. You know, where it was just one little thing. Maybe if you swung higher at this ball, you wouldn't have gotten the block. It would have been a perfect tool. And now you're celebrating like you won a championship, you know, and all it was was the angle that you attacked the ball at. So, yeah, I think that's small fix. And then, uh, like you said, being able to move on. I think that's strong, too. We hear it commonly be a goldfish or somebody who has a small memory. Don't stress on these ideas of what happens because even though the defense on the other side of the net wants you to do something, they still do not have a clue what you're doing before it happens, right? They're hoping that they're going to put you in a situation where you're going to do something and then it makes them look like mind readers, right. but that is a hope. That's something that they're hoping happens. So if you can go into it thinking it's a new play, thinking that you're still trying to challenge them the best that you can, I think you're going to set yourself up for success. Yeah. It's funny that we're, we talk about like getting most, I'd say most of the blocks happen with hard cross, but if you hit hard cross, the problem could have been you didn't step outside after you passed. Just that like one little fix would have allowed you to jump higher. It would have opened your right arm, it would have you know, created a better angle for you. And now you're just completely changing that when literally all you had to do is like, boop, there we go. Now I'm fixed. Like Carl McGowan from Coleman Square, these like just say absolute genius. And he would take these hitters and he would say, you know what? Just make sure your left step is six inches behind the 10 foot line instead of six inches in front. And then all of a sudden this hitting percentage went up kill after kill after kill. Nothing to do with swing selection, nothing to do with, you know, what you're seeing or anything. Just a little footwork, a little spacing. So there, there are other problems. Just don't fly to the to the opposite of what you think because you're just being emotionally reactive there instead of thinking. I like that. And then uh, do you have anything else as far as how to stop the bleeding? Maybe we'll do that in another one. Yeah. Okay. So I like that conversation. And I think we don't have many comments today, but Eric and Eric did something Hi, Eric. that I kind of want to cover a little bit. So do you have a mental routine you go through when a bad call is made? Last tourney, we were ahead five points, but after the call, our mental state was so bad that the other team ended up going on a six point 
point streak. Unfortunately, I think that the refs can cause people to go down these rabbit holes quite often. And it's easier said than done. There Mm -hmm. are still matches where refs get into my head a little bit if they make a call that is completely absurd. But I think it it goes back to this mentality of choosing the correct fight. You know, I kind of gotten to the point now where if a ref makes a call, I know I'm not getting that point back. Okay, so the fact that I've lost the point, I'm kind of I try to be over that as quickly as I can. The reason that I'm talking to the ref is hoping that they don't make another bad call later in the match. Okay, and I think if you can kind of get out of this mentality of saying, no, that is not the point I lost, blah, blah, blah then that's when you're going to be thinking about it for the rest of the time. But if you can go ahead and swallow that point loss and use that time when you're talking to the ref to try to educate them on how to not make the same bad call later in the match, it's really hard for a ref to make that call again. So I think that that can allow you to kind of regroup and be like, okay, if they call that same thing in this tight game moving forward, maybe that's when I'll react a little different. But Mm -hmm. for right now, I think that that's kind of an easy, that's something that I've done in the past and it's worked out okay for me. Um, And it doesn't make me feel like I'm playing with anger because that's when we start feeling like we have a point to prove. And that's when you can, once again, you're reactive again. Now blockers think that you're a little angry. So now you're going to start seeing some some threes and fours because attackers, when they get mad, they want to hit hard. And now you're setting yourself up for failure. I don't know if you have any uh, ref thoughts. You know, I've freaked a lot of my partners out because I'll go after refs in order to educate them, make sure that they're being held accountable. And a lot of times my partners felt like, I was losing control and internally I was a, like a complete duck, like the opposite of a duck, <laughs> you know, like above the surface, I was just like going nuts and, and hammering the ref. But underneath I'm like, I'm stalling the game. I'm letting us reset. And once my partner started understanding that, like, I think good setters do this in indoor where they'll go over and they'll chat up the ref and they'll say, Hey, don't look at me. You know, don't look at me talking to the ref. You guys go, five of you, go settle out what just happened and come up with a game plan, support each other, build each other up. I'll deal with the ref as the captain, as the setter. And I specifically would do that with my juniors girls. I'd tell my setter, go talk to the ref. You five, talk about what just happened and like, you know, tell a joke or something so, so that you can reset. So you can talk, you can have multiple conversations and reset yourself. But the one quote that I'm thinking of that I just keep seeing on Instagram right now is uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a, a psychologist, motivational speaker. And he says, anger isn't something that happens to you. You get angry. That is something that you control. You know, so you have to define for yourself what, like where you're allowed to go. And if you keep putting it on as something external occurred to you and it was out of your control, then you become a victim of everything else in your life. You become a victim of the next string of five points, you know, instead of saying like, all right, I control how I react to this. Now, once you tell yourself, I control how I react to this, then you can actually direct your mentality and your emotions in the areas that you want and you can guard them and you can control and you can say, I will show this person anger so that maybe they won't make the, you know, the next mistake. Or if you're in a BAAA tournament, like maybe they'll be afraid to make a call. Maybe that's not the sportsman like thing people want to hear, but referees also have to be held accountable so that they can't take players from games. But just remember that anger doesn't happen to you. It wasn't the ref's fault that you lost that you still control the very next thing that happened even if it was the most outrageous call in the world you still control the next thing that happens it's just now you gotta win two points in a row instead of one point i'm brand new to the idea of game plans during playing especially on defense do you have any simple plans that you recommend to start getting the brain flowing on game plans it's a good question i mean we kind of covered that for the whole the whole front yeah, but I think if, if we're talking about someone who's brand new to me, just realizing what you're calling. And the big thing with this is, especially if you're brand new, first thing you want to do is you probably want to watch one of our YouTube videos about defensive design. Because if you don't have a blocker or a net protector up at the net, then defensive strategy is out the window. Okay, so 
You've got to have somebody at the net being a blocker. If they decide to pull off the net and play defense, that's okay. But establishing that person at the net is huge. All right. And then it's just a matter of setting up what you plan on taking away and what you plan on giving up. I think that that's a pretty simple way to start. So normally if you have a person blocking or taking away line, then you can say, all right, if they hit cross, I'm going to dig it. If they hit a cut shot, I'm going to dig it. If they hit high line, we're going to give that one up. If they do that a couple times in a row, then we can switch our idea and say, all right, defender, instead of digging the cross, now I want you to try to get the line. Okay, so it's it's just little thoughts like that. Um, we, we went a little bit more in depth into that at the beginning of the session, but just trying to figure out what you're taking away and why, and then taking all of that information into account of what is the other team doing when you are taking that stuff away. Sometimes people just beat you, even if you're in the right spot, then the yeah. answer is up. Oh, I just need to practice more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's not always an answer as to how we stop somebody, but kind of understanding where and why you're losing the points is what you need to be able to answer at the end of the match. My favorite part of you saying that is what we take up and what we're giving up. It's, hey, Brandon, this guy is going to have to hit this shot three times before I choose to dig it. You know, the other stuff, I'm going to make sure that it's covered. But if he hits high line right now, I'm telling you right now, I'm not getting it because I will I will take 100% of cross and cutty, you know, or if he hits sharp angle, if I want to sit middle and get that high line a little bit easier, I'll shift my defense more into the middle. And I'll say, if he hits kind of generic cross, I'll get a hand on it, but I'm going to dig that line, you know, and he's going to have to hit three cut shots, which he hates doing, because I haven't seen him do it for the entire match. So he's going to have to hit three cut shots before I decide to even dig a cut shot. And that's a good start. Just knowing that every defense has a hole, that you're not trying to block every or trying to stop every swing in any defense. You're trying to stop one or two at a time and then develop that strategy. I like it. Hopefully that was good enough for you, Brian Camp. And if it wasn't, and if you want to dive into the most in-depth defensive tactics and technique course that I know of, and I would challenge anybody to have the library that we have. Uh, you guys go into betteratbeach.com forward slash ultimate defender. That's a page that will tell you everything that's involved in our ultimate defender course. And right now, all of our courses for a limited time, listen, this price is going to go up, but right now everything is available for only $39. So if you can go ahead to betteratbeach.com, you'll get access to that. You'll get access to our serving course, our blocking and peeling class, 50 practice plans. 50 full written out practice plans, vertical jump program, serve receive. Like the, the value for this is immense and it's available for you. Just head to betteratbeach.com uh, and you will see that. If you want to learn more about just the defensive part of it, the page, which is called betteratbeach.com forward slash ultimate defender, that will tell you a lot uh, in depth detail about what our defensive course has and what it holds. And we had a number of people so far sign up from our athletic foundations program, uh, who are carrying on with us for a full year of training. It's pretty sick. They're, uh, they get two group meetings per week. They get all of our courses and they get one private video lesson every month. So they started out with us with the athletic foundations, Everybody who did it saw huge differences by the end of seven days, just from the mobility and the shoulder program. And uh, they're carrying on because they want to see their, their verts really jump up. So they want the 60 MX vertical and the level of detail coaching and service that we give the amount of how much attention we pay to all of our players being able for them to post their videos and show their matches and show their technique on video in our private Facebook group and have a coach say, this is great. This needs work with that amount of detail. Once you experience it, you wonder why there are not more programs like this and why you haven't done it yet. So uh, the people from our athletic foundations program are currently upgrading to the full year program and they're going to be coached by our squad for an entire year with videos and everything in all of our courses. So I'm fired up for those people. Big congrats to people who are signing up. And if you want to start experiencing that, if you want somebody who can give you the answers to your game, go ahead to betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching 
and that will start giving you some information about that. All right. But if you don't want any of the like sort of active coaching or the video meetings, you can just get our courses and the private Facebook group. You can just get that for right now, 39 bucks a month. It's a no brainer. Absolute no brainer. You're going to pay more than that for a tournament or in beer after you lose a tournament you shouldn't have. <laughs> just some easy solutions. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, I'll, I'll see you in a few days in Ohio. See you in Loveland, Ohio at Grand Sands. Mm -hmm. uh, we are almost at, I think we're at maybe 54 players right now. So we're bringing a squad of five coaches there for a day and nine hour training day, seven and a half hours of volleyball and people can play in between. And it's going to be a trip. I'm excited to go back there. We had a really good time last spring and this time it's doubled in size. Looking forward to seeing all my friends and new faces in Ohio. And uh, that's it. It looks like Brandon has left the building. Brandon, nice hanging out with you. For those of you who are still here, <laughs> I will check you later. Uh, and Brandon, there was no noise problem. I, I think you might've heard it, but we didn't hear anything from our end, so. Cool. All, All right. right, I will see you in Ohio, buddy. Okay, see you Bye. guys.